You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good to see you guys. Hey, I want to do something real quick because right now I'm on our Facebook Live and it's delayed. And so what I want us to do is, is, is this is going to be fun. Okay, everybody stand up and turn around and look at the sound booth because the cameras are back there. And I want you to go, hi, Facebook Live family. And now you can sit down and see right now, it's just in the intro for when I just walked out. So I want to see if I say something really cool. So I like this delay thing, right? Like, I want to see how I do. So you'll have to forgive me. I have, uh, I'm running on a nap. I didn't sleep much last night. I'm running on a nap. And so uh, uh, I'm going to switch over to my notes now. And so uh, let's see if that gets any comments from the folk on Facebook. But anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here. We're in a series uh, called You Got Questions. And, and man, Ron was right. You guys are bringing the heat. This is, <laughs> thank you um, for, for just... Uh, uh, being honest, and, and these questions, what you're wrestling with, wow, I, I love it, and we're, we're breaking down themes, and, and uh, where we can on a weekend, we're going to do some themes, and I will tell you, the next couple weeks, going to be some heavy stuff, I mean, that's just the way it is, and so uh, heaviness, and then the last weekend of this series, we're going to do a panel lightning round, so what questions don't get put in a theme, and what questions we don't do a Facebook video, because we, we will also do Facebook videos on some of these questions, and so Alec and I, or we'll, we might invite some other people to the table and sit down and have some discussions that go on the, our, our Facebook page, um, and then the last week, we'll do the lightning round, and so we're trying to get through, as, we're trying to get through all of them, and and even the ones that don't have to do with scripture. Like we got one question that says, uh, do whales get thirsty? <laughs> hey, inquiring minds want to know, right? So uh, uh, about, about 30 seconds on Google, we'll help you out. And here's what we found, that whales do get thirsty. They do have to drink because they're a living organism, which is mostly water. They're surrounded by water, but we can't drink salt water. God is... Just, he, isn't he so great in creation? He's made the whales specifically so that their kidneys process salt water, and most of their water that they get doesn't come from drinking the salt water. It comes from all the krill that they eat. So boom, see, now you know, and the more you know, right? G.I. Joe, I grew up with G.I. Joe, and they said this at the end, knowing is half the battle. So there we go. Whales get thirsty, and God gives a way to satisfy. And we're going to go into some deeper questions. I'm kind of setting this up for the fun because it's getting ready to get heavy. And so we're talking about salvation and, and questioning salvation. And, and my hope and my prayer for this entire series is this, that you gain revelation through the questions. Remember in elementary school, and I, I used to hate this. I love math, but I used to hate this because I could look at some problems and just write the answer down, but I would always get marked off because the teacher would say these words, show your work. I'm like, you don't need to see my work. It's, it's above you. It, you just, you know, you just, this mind. I mean, uh, look, your grading, is the answer right? Yes or no? No, 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 not my work. And so I get, they want to see that you didn't cheat. But I, man, I was just, I love math. I'm not good in the English side. I don't speak so good, but I love math. And so uh, I, I just, man, I just love doing puzzles, things like that. So where was I going with that? Um, oh, Revelation. And uh, so uh, <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, 
I want you to gain revelation. Romans chapter 7. So if you got your Bible, um, if you don't own a Bible, um, we keep some on those back t- cabinets for you. But here's, here's a fun experiment um, because uh, I use an app called YouVersion. And, and it's a free app. And on here you can find your scripture. I was reading in John uh, yesterday. So uh, you can touch what book. And some of you on the back can't see this. Just got to trust me, okay? Um, but I'll go to Romans. And I'm going to go to seven. And then what I like about it is there's different, this little button here. It's not a button you can touch there. ESV. So we, oh, I got to update some stuff. We, uh, we teach out of the English standard version, but I love reading different translations because it kind of helps. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the song we were singing. I love that hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. But it ends with, oh, for grace to trust you more. And, and, I, and, and I've heard that song my entire life. I grew up in church, y'all. But, but what's interesting is we go, oh, what does that mean? Can you say that another way? It means, God, give me grace so I can trust you more. I know I'm supposed to trust you. I'm not sharing the password with y'all. Come on, yeah. Anyway, but we're going to look at different translations. English Standard Version, and then I'm going to look at one called the New Living Translation. If you struggle with reading the Word of God, like I just don't understand the language, the vocabulary of it, try the New Living Translation. And then I'm going to look at, we're going to look at, at another one. And so let's kind of get into this. Romans chapter 7 is, is, is a tough, it, it, it's really heady, it's thick stuff that, that we're working through. And the Apostle Paul is a man that got just like radically saved. If you don't know what an apostle is, it's just like someone who was appointed by Jesus to go and share that message. And Paul had a specific function under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Paul gets saved and he writes most of the New Testament and He's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and there's the, he, he's bringing us into this deep struggle. In Romans 6, 7, and 8, he is really just, I mean, he is going into the deep about, about this struggle that we find ourselves in, about sin, and about our, our, this, this nature that we're born with, that we're all born broken, and we, we fight this out. And then the Spirit coming in, and that we can, we can have this hope in Christ, and that this grace that covers us, and this grace leads us to live differently. And so he gets into this, 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 this beautiful dissertation. Then he gets to Romans chapter 7, verse 21. And this is what he says. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's not that hard to understand. But I want you to see in the New Living Translation what he says. He says, I've discovered this principle of life. I've discovered something. That when I want to do what is right, inevitably I do wrong. And one of the questions that came in was this. If, 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 I, if I sin, am I still saved? And then another question that says, if I'm saved, why do I still sin? And what Paul is saying here is welcome to the struggle. Remember, do, do you remember uh, the, the Christmas movie with um, uh, Bruce Willis? What does he say when he's leaning out the window? Welcome to the party, pal. I can't go there. <laughs> That's after he took care of Hans. Now when Al shows up, Fight gets on. He goes, welcome to the party, pal. That's what Paul is saying here. He's like, and and I love that he didn't say, I've discovered this principle of life. When you want to do what is right, you do what is wrong. 
Now, Paul, this is a guy that we can look at and go, if anybody in Scripture outside of Jesus, we know that dude was saved. I mean, his incredible salvation experience. Paul, is, he was called Saul, and he, would, he could be prideful about his religiosity. He was born a Pharisee. He was Jewish. He was also a Roman citizen. Man, he knew the Old Testament backwards, forwards, could have tons of discussion around it, and, and just he could argue with you about it. And he, was, he said, I'm, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee, which means he could keep this. I'm like, I can follow this law, and he would gain this pride from how well he thought his righteousness would come through a law. And then there was somebody that disrupted the scene for him, and his name was Jesus. And when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, all these people started talking about it. And these men who were his disciples began to share this message. And this message started picking up steam because these disciples didn't give their life for a lie. They experienced the revelation and the resurrection of Jesus. Too many times, see, we want to understand God. We ask questions to understand God. God is not to be fully understood, but he is to be fully experienced. And when you experience the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything, baby. And so this man Saul is on the road to Damascus, and he's, he thinks it's his religious duty to rid the earth of these people who follow Jesus, these followers of the way, these disciples. And in the first century at this time, Christian was a derogatory term. And so he's on the way. He wants to arrest him, bring him back, persecute him. He oversaw, he was there when Stephen, one of these guys that was feeding the widows, who was a follower of Jesus, was killed. It says he was breathing out murderous threats, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. I mean, blinding light, road to Damascus, everyone around him is paralyzed by fear, and Paul received, Jesus speaks to him, and, and, and he says, Saul, Saul, and, and all he can respond was, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, stop it. Get, get, on, the, get on the boat here, get in the program here. And Paul has this radical conversion. I mean, he's blinded in that moment. And, and, and he's led to a, to a man named Ananias. And, and God said to Ananias, he goes, hey, Saul's coming to visit. You're going to pray for me. He goes, no, uh-uh, that guy's coming to kill me. I'm not praying for that dude. Talk about praying for the enemies and those who persecute you. Ananias prays for him. His, his sight's restored. Paul goes into being a, a disciple of Jesus, writes most of the New Testament, and is a church planting on fire Fool for Jesus. When we look at his life and the fruit that his life bears, I mean, we look at and we think of it as like a super Christian, right? Sometimes we read the Bible and we think it's, it's a story about how great people are, and it's more of a story about how great our God is, because he works through broken people to do incredible things. But we'll look at Paul, because that dude's a super Christian. He's Saint Paul. And, and, and here's the reality. He struggles just like we do. He says, welcome to the struggle. He says, this, this principle at work is real for us, and what we've got to realize is there's a fight on our hands. We've got to realize this fight. And, and, and he says, 
get in it. When I, when I want to do what's right, I, I've found this thing that happens. Inevitably, I do wrong. When I wake up in the morning and go, okay, I'm going to focus. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to walk today. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to, man, those, those things that I did, I'm not going to do those. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away. I'm going to just, man, here we go. I got this. It's a new day. Your grace is new. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, about 30 seconds later, you just, bam. It's because there's a fight. Paul says this in verse 22. He says, for I, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What he says in the New Living Translation, he says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war in my mind. It's with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. Notice this. That is still within me. Paul just went through, and he's in this section that's very heady. I I would recommend you go and read Romans 6, 7, and 8 this week. And, And he's talking about this, that those who have placed their faith in Christ have been crucified with Christ, which means that sin nature that he's talking about, that that thing that that is at war in us, has been crucified. If you don't believe in resurrection power, just look at at how Christians live. Because, man, I'm declared righteous because he's taking care of my sin, but yet I still struggle with it. There's a resurrection of that sin nature. feels like every 30 seconds. And he said, this, this struggle, this fight is real. But the war has already been won. Alec and I were talking this week about, you know, situations where, okay, the war's over, but they're still fighting. And you heard Adam a couple weeks ago give a, give a, a reference to that in our worship time. And so I, I was reading about a man this week named Hiro Onada. Hiro Onada was a Japanese soldier and in 1944 was stationed on an island off of the Philippines. And his commanding officers looked at him and said, under no circumstances are you to surrender this island. You fight. You do not give up any part of this island. Yes, sir, they leave. 1945 rolls around, war's over. Japan is defeated. There's a peace treaty that's put into place. But Hiroo doesn't believe that it's over. He and his men are still waging guerrilla warfare from the mountains. They're still attacking parts of the cities. And and they get so frustrated by it that they start flying planes over the mountains and dropping pamphlets going, hey, the war's over. And he didn't believe it. He thought it was propaganda from the allies. Do you know how he finally finished his war? In 1974, they found his commanding officer who owned a bookstore in Japan and flew him to the island to relieve Hiro of his command. 29 years after the war was over. Well, we need to understand this, this fight that we're in. The war has been won. The victory has been won by Christ on the cross. When he gave his life on the cross, he paid that penalty for sin. He won the war, but we still fight. And you know what we've got to do? We've got to continue fighting until our commander comes to us and relieves us of duty. 
I will continue to fight this sin nature until Jesus Christ either calls me home or, or calls me to meet him in the air in his, re- in his rapture. And he says, son, the war is over. Let's go. It's peacetime now, baby. And I will continue to fight it. That's the struggle. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you continue to fight. You continue to work at this. You continue to pursue this. You continue to engage these, these natures. And these natures are at war within us. If I'm saved, why do I still sin? Because there is a nature at work in us. We have this flesh nature that constantly desires things that are not of God. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, how are we saved? When we call on him as Lord and Savior and say, I need you. You won the, 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 the war. You won the victory. You paid for my sin. And I'm asking for your grace, Jesus. When I declare that with my mouth and I believe that with my heart, not when I understand everything, but when I I experience God and his goodness and his grace and his mercy, and it changes everything, then what happens is this spirit nature moves in, and it's birthed inside of me, and those two are at war with one another, and they continue to fight. If you're, if, this, this is a, this is a telling question for me, because it's somebody who says, I hate the sin in my life. If I'm saved, why do I deal with this? Can I encourage you, keep fighting, keep struggling. The the trouble happens when we stop struggling because what happens is we just give into it. God calls us to deal with our sin. He doesn't call us to perfection. He is very clear that we're gonna fight these natures. I mean, we can't say, well, I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I've been saved and so I don't fight sin anymore. I'm done. You're going to get tore up because the fight's on. And if you don't engage, man, it's just going to be brutal for you. If I still sin, am I really saved? Man, I look at Paul. (laughs) He struggled with it. God used him mightily. And yes, If we sin, we're still saved. This is what Paul's feeling in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. New Living Translation says this. He says, what a miserable person I am. You ever experienced that? I mean, Scripture says that, hey, sin is fun for a season. But eventually, that bill's going to come due. And then you, you find yourself in that, that stage of regret, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the struggle of, if I'm saved, why do I still sin? If I sin, am I still saved? I'm miserable. It's just misery that's going on in me. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And Paul's saying, who's going to do this for me? Because I can't do it. I'm exhausted in my own power. I mean, when you get up in the morning or when you, when you find yourself in sin or, or, or many when, when we talk, you're in habitual sin. It's just the same well. You keep going over, over, and over. 
and you're in this miserable cycle and you're like, I can't break this. I can't get past this. I can't get over this. I'm just, I'm exhausted from struggling. Who can help me? And that's what Paul's saying. This, this domination that when sin and death comes in and is just whipping up on us, he's like, who's going to help me? Who's my backup? Who's coming in? Who's got my six? And he says, thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Welcome to the struggle. I love what Paul recognizes in that. He realizes his fight, but he realizes his rescue. My hope does not come from my ability to be good. My hope does not come from my ability to have strong enough willpower. My hope doesn't come from a self-help book that tells me that I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and I can fix this myself. My hope comes from a rescue, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let me read to you. Because that, that, what Paul's saying there might be difficult. I want to read to you what it says in, in the message paraphrase. There's a man named Eugene Peterson. He's in heaven now. He's a pastor, dynamic pastor. And people in his church were coming and saying, Pastor Eugene, I'm just struggling reading God's word. I'm struggling understanding. I'm struggling with what it means. And he just felt a call of God in his life to, to, to write it in everyday terms and make this paraphrase edition of the Bible. He did the entire Bible before God called him home. And this is what he wrote. This is what this passage says, the way he paraphrased it in this message translation. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me, covert, parts of me covertly re rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Is there anyone that can do anything for me? Is there any soothing for this wretchedness that I feel, this misery that I'm in? I'm at the end of my rope. Can anybody help me? And then he says the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. I love that. He can do it and he does do it. And you know what? He did it. He'll do it again. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. I love that, this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and all my mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. How many of us put our head on the pillow at night and we're like, every intention in my body was to serve you, God, with all of my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength? And something influenced me and pulled me to do something completely opposite of that, God. And here's the beautiful thing about rescue. It's permanent. We do not get to talk ourselves out of the rescue. 
Someone who has been rescued from a, a dire situation does not go back and go, I don't know if they really rescued me. I don't know if that happened. In my mind, I'm still on the island. I, I, we don't get to second guess that, question that. That's the beauty of our salvation in Jesus Christ. There's many voices that are at work in us. There's a voice of condemnation. There's a voice of despair. There's a voice of hope. There's a voice of the Holy Spirit. There's a voice of reason. There's a voice. All these voices, how do we filter out? How do we filter? And here's what Paul so beautifully explains. See, some of us would read chapter 7 and we stop there because that's the end of the chapter. I'm that way. I, I, I'm, I have a I struggle reading. Um, and when I'm reading, I'm reading a book right now, and it's got long chapters, which is whipping me because I get tired. And I'm like, just call it, bro. But I don't want to stop. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to stop in the middle of a chapter. And so they have these things. They'll, they'll do a break where it's a new heading in the chapter, which should just be another chapter. But I get to that, and I'm like, oh, thank God, I can stop here, finally go to sleep. Then I have to reread most of what I read the next day because I was so tired, I don't remember. But we do that with Scripture. Can I, can I give you permission to cross the lines a little bit in Scripture? Because it wasn't originally written with the chapters and verses. See, when we teach the Word of God now, modern context, we go big numbers or chapters, little numbers or verses. So I could say, go to Romans chapter 7, we're going to start verse 21. But this was a letter written to the church in Rome by Paul. It's in its entirety. They would have sat down in their church and read it in its entirety. And what's beautiful about it is, is Paul's going, ah, oh, this wretched man that I am, going to this beautiful, just, just this educational and this, this dissertation about our life and these dual natures and what God has done and about grace and that we, 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 we're in this fight. And he says, this is me. This is me. This is what I do. I want to do right, but I do wrong. And I just find myself. And then he crosses the line and there's eight Chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he settled the contradictions of the two natures that are at war within us. He settles that. These voices going on. I mean, you sin. I can't believe you sin. There's no way God's going to love you. God's, he, just, he just kicked you out now. You're done. Paul's like, there's therefore now no condemnation. We've got to be able to discern the voices. The enemy's always going to come in with condemnation. God does not lead us to repentance through condemnation. Now, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. And when that conviction comes on, it can, it can be heavy. But let me tell you something. Where it's leading to is the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into grace and repentance. And the enemy wants to leave you in division and brokenness. See his voice. It's John chapter 10, verse 10. I've given you life, an abundant life. And in, in later in that chapter, in John uh, about 27, verse 27, Jesus says, he says, my sheep hear my voice. All these voices. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. God doesn't go, hey, are you one of my kids? We took our granddaughter to the zoo a couple weeks ago. And that day they had a lot of elementary schools coming in for uh, field trips. 
And there was a teacher that came to an employee of the zoo, and we were just having me walking by. She goes, I need your help. We got a problem. This kid is not ours. <laughs> I was just a four-year-old girl just like, I just want to be at the zoo. And the zoo employee's like, I haven't been trained for this. I can clean up elephant stuff, but I don't deal with kids. What I do? And thankfully, the father came running up. But God doesn't look at us and go, you know, I don't know. Are you one, are you one of mine? Some of y'all got multiple kids, and yeah, that's, that's valid in your household. Like, who are you? You know, I thought you were a neighbor's kid. Why are you here every night? I'm yours, mom. But <laughs> I don't remember giving birth to you. But <laughs> good drugs. But um, <laughs> I got to go to bed after, after church today. <laughs> oh. I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I, I give them. I don't earn it. He said, I give them eternal life. I did it. I paid for it. If I paid for it, I own it. I can give it. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Everybody say, no one. That's who can take you out of God's hand. No one. And he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, is greater than your sin, is greater than your pain, is greater than your past, is greater than your parents that raise you, is greater than the stuff your kids are going through, is greater than your job, is greater than your finances, is greater than all the stuff that you got going on. It's greater than every bad decision you've made in your past and every terrible decision you'll make in your future, that his power is greater than all. And no one, no one, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. People say this, man, it's... If I'm saved, why do I still sin? If I sin, am I still saved? Yeah. Yeah. Because God's a perfect and loving Father. How crazy. If, you, if you're new to the character of God and don't know God's character, let me, let me help you with something. God's not a Father that says, I, I, I'm going to give everything to have a relationship with you. And when you screw up, you're not mine. You're not mine. I don't know you. Oh, you asked for forgiveness? Come on. Oh, you thought that? Get out. That's not the nature and character of God. Because what we've got to realize, it's not just, he didn't just rescue us. People say, the one question that says, what did Jesus save us from? And I love that question. But I want to, I want to address the other side of it, because Jesus saves us from something to something. Jesus saved us from the penalty and punishment of our sin to eternal life that he gave us that he paid for with his blood on the cross. He saves us from death to life, from being imprisoned to freedom, from wretchedness to righteousness. He's saving us from ourselves to himself. Because it's not just a rescue that he's after. See, what Paul realizes is there's a relationship there. Because he's got a purpose, there's a hope, and a connection. And we realize this relationship. And Jesus Christ spreading his arms on the cross, spilling his blood to be the sacrifice for our sin, is all about relationship. It's not just him saying, I'm going to go to earth and pay their bill. I'm coming so that we can be one. One of the questions that was asked in, in this, this series is, 
if Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, why, why do I need to ask for forgiveness daily? It's a beautiful question. And, and the reality, Jesus paid for our sins, past, present, future. And the only, only way that we're saved from the penalty of those sins is when we ask him for that grace. We ask him for the payment that he made to cover me. It's kind of like, hey, can I get on that tab? He says, come on. And, and the daily, you know, I ask for forgiveness daily because daily I sin. Let me tell you something. Can I get honest about your pastor? Sometimes I have to ask forgiveness multiple times in an hour. Some days it can take me 11 minutes to get home. Some days at 17 minutes, if traffic's a little jacked up, and I got to repent probably 17 times in 17 minutes. <laughs> because here's what happens when there's a realization that I'm falling short in the relationship. Then when I come in forgiveness, that helps the relationship. Because forgiveness in a relationship, if it's withheld or never asked for, hinders. When there's humility and says, forgive me, it helps. So I ask because of the relationship. Heather and I are married. I love her, and she's wonderful, and she is, she's, she's everything to me. And she's committed to me until death do us part. And when I fall short, when I, when I let her down, I ask for forgiveness. How many of y'all are in a marriage where you've never had to ask for forgiveness? Because mm-hmm, you ain't in that marriage anymore. Because <laughs> the relationship dies. And so I come to Jesus because I'm, I realize that, that he just didn't rescue me. I mean, he wants that relationship. And when I come to him, when I, when I fall short, and, and he, he, he gently brings me in with the Holy Spirit, he's like, Matt, this is, this is the, the struggle's real, Matt, but man, come on, you, you can fight. You can fight. Let's deal with forgiveness in this, Matt. This is, this is hindering us. And, and we hear these words like confession in church, you know, and repentance. Confession is simply this, agreeing. God, I agree with you that that's that, that, that's what's pulling. That's the influence that's pulling me away from wanting to do your heart and to do your will and to follow you with everything I got. And that's, that's the influence. He says, yes, we agree on that, right? I said, yeah. He goes, now pivot. Now pivot. Start turning to me. Now, now stop looking at that influence and going, I, that's, I don't want to do that because we spend too much time saying, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that. What do we want to be? Turn, pivot, repent. Turn to me. Look at what I want you to be. Start walking in that. And when you fall short, yeah, we're going to keep going. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to be there. And most of the time, we just get caught up in the sin cycle that whips us and just keeps us down. And, and this is what Eugene Peterson paraphrased, that therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus with. I want to read this to you, and I'll close. If you would, just close your eyes. This is what he writes. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, 
low-lying black cloud, a new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That's beautiful news. Because what it realizes, what we have to realize is this. The question we've got to wrestle with today, who's the Lord of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? Because if it's you, this fight is not under this power. The spirit of life in Christ is not moving in your life to keep you out from under the weight of that fateful tyranny. But when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, it changes everything because he comes in like a strong wind and he magnificently clears the air, freeing you from a lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for letting us wrestle with it. Ultimately, I just pray for revelation and not an answer. Many of us want an answer of this, of this sin and salvation issue. But Father, I'm asking you to bring revelation, realization of the fight, realization of the rescue, and ultimately your desire to have a relationship with us. So I pray for that relationship to be made real today. I pray for a line to be crossed today from from death to life, from despair about the struggles we have in our life to hope in you, Christ Jesus, because we all face that reality when we express our misery and we ask the question, Is there anyone who can bring a relief to this weary soul? And we say, yes. Thanks be to God that Jesus, you set right the contradictions of these two natures at war within us. We ask you to grow us in our spirit so we walk in the power and the victory of the Holy Spirit in our life. We know that in this life, we will not be sinless, but through your power, we will sin less. Jesus, we know that salvation does not save us from the fight, but it saves us in it. So we ask for you to just bring encouragement so that we can fight this good fight. We finish our race finish our course and keep the faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at